0: And i think the more in life that we can be put ourselves in uncomfortable situations because it's in those moments in which we learn and there are some struggles in those moments but at the end of the at the end of that experience is when we have our most growth and when we learn right if we're not challenged if we're not uncomfortable you're kind of static so i i spend a lot of time trying to be comfortable being uncomfortable whether it's walking in the built environment and having frustrations using my white cane and being in new areas or trying to run a a more difficult route that I haven't run before.
1: This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpri. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all new, all natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, go to solpre.com to check out the anti-chafe balm today. That's S-O-L. PRI.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is an avid skier, runner, uh, local beer enthusiast. He's going to tell me about that because I'm not huge on beer, but I know beer and running kind of go together hand in hand. He's also a non-profit manager. You can find him on Instagram at Runner. Welcome to the show, Kyle Robidoux.
0: Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for hanging out with me uh, this afternoon.
1: I think it's afternoon for both of us now. Yeah, cuz you're you're ahead of me time zone. So, it's definitely afternoon for both of us now.
0: Excellent. It's uh
1: it's always a nice way like so the episode's come out on Friday, which is when I do the recordings as well. Unfortunately, if you're listening, this isn't live, but I try to keep the experience kind of similar where it's like it's just a nice way to kick off the weekend, just you know, hang out, have a nice conversation and then head into relaxation for the weekend so i I hope that's the case for you uh you don't have too many like work or stressful things to do after this
0: no i am actually uh going to meet a friend at a brewery and then uh getting in some long runs the last weekend of long runs this weekend so looking forward to that so you have a you have a race coming up yeah i'm running the boston marathon in about two weeks i think april 18th that gives you like how under a rock
1: I am right now that I, I didn't realize Boston was coming up. Um, so I, I apparently need to take a peek uh, out from underneath my rock every once in a while. Uh, yeah. You see what's going on in the wider world, especially with running. I, I, so apologies there. This, this no worries. Is, this is, will be, is it number eight, number seven?
0: I am terrible with numbers. I think. <laughs> It is seven or eight, right around there. I was like, I wanted
1: to think that I'd I'd seen you would run at least six. And and then I was was starting to guess. I was like, oh, is it? You've done six, completed I Anyway, you've done it a number of times. Um, So for, we should maybe back up a little bit. So for the listener who's like, we don't know anything about this guy, aside from he likes to ski and he likes beer and running. Can you give me a little background on your story and give context to the listener, I guess, who you are, and what you do, and um, maybe why you're hanging out with me, I guess, today, why uh, I think you're an interesting person to talk to. Uh,
0: We'll let others determine if I'm interesting, (laughs) but but I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So yeah, no, I, I live in Boston, grew up in Maine, grew up active playing all types of ball sports, and about for the past 10 to 12 years, I've been actively running, doing races. I love everything from five K's to hundred milers. I try to do more ultra and running on dirt than road races or road marathons. Actually Boston is for the most part, the only marathon I'm doing these days. And I grew up skiing and luckily I am still uh, skiing, try to get up five to 10 times every year. And I have a a 14 year old daughter and a, a wife and yeah, we live right in the middle of Boston. And I currently work for the City of Boston in their Office of Housing Stability. So
1: everybody comes from running from a, a different background. I got into it when I was, you know, 12. You could say earlier, depending on whether you want to count like community sports as, uh, you know, getting into running, so to speak. Obviously, you're running as you're playing sports. What where does your running journey start? Did you start as a kid? Did you start later on? Like, how do you decide this is the thing I want to do?
0: So I ran for fitness in high school and getting ready for soccer, getting ready for baseball, but I didn't really love it, but I did it, you know, to prepare. And then when I was probably in my twenties, I ran irregularly for a little bit. And then to be honest with you, I kind of subconsciously convinced myself that I couldn't run outside anymore because, and I I just realized I also forget to mention, which is a good or a bad thing, uh, I am legally blind, so I identify as uh, visually impaired as well. So as my eyesight was decreasing, I think I convinced myself that I could no longer run outside safely. So I, I spent a number of years, probably eight to 10 years, really not being active outside except for skiing two to three times a year. And then with a goal of losing weight and dropping all of my health markers, I was on the path to type two diabetes. My cholesterol was through the roof uh, as someone who was 30 years old. I knew I needed a lifestyle change. So I started walking and then running for a few minutes and then it kind of took off from there. And now I run for a little bit more than just a few minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say it ultra lasts a little bit more than a, a few <laughs> minutes, um, So, you know, it's, it's a curiosity. I, 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 you know, try not to be disrespectful or or pedantic, I guess, but it, it, you know, depending on the race, sometimes uh, in my career, I've seen uh, visually impaired athletes. They'll, you know, have a guide with you to help you out. The thing that always uh, I'll say kills me, but I mean, I mean that in an endearing way is like, seeing visually impaired athletes do triathlons because I did that for almost a decade uh, because the swim is nonsense for somebody who's not visually impaired. Like if you <laughs> you can only see every, you know, time you pop your head up anyway. Um, it just seems like absolute chaos if, if you're relying on somebody to help guide you through that. Um, so can you give, you know, is there a way to kind of give me a sense of what it's like, or how that relationship works. Like, do you do you have? Is it is it like, hey, me and you are hanging out, and you're like, I'd like you to be my pacer, and we hang out for months training together, or do you paired up at the starting line. Like, how does that relationship develop? How how does that, you know,
0: how do you navigate? I guess. So I think all of the above in a sense, I mean, it could play out different ways, but I also just wanted to address, you made a great point around the swim part of the triathlon and I've never done a triathlon, although I bike and I ride, Mm -hmm. but what I find is that, that that similarity between the experience of the swim, right, is also Mm -hmm. the experience in the similarity that I'm trying to capture while trail running. And I'll be very honest with you as well. Like I, I, have emotions and some feelings that I'm trying to work through when people run by me and say, oh, you're so inspirational. Yeah. Because my response is, you're doing the exact same thing that I'm doing right now. Right. In fact, in fact, you're actually passing me, right? Or mm-hmm. lapping me, or maybe I'm passing you, whatever it may be. But it's that shared experience that we're doing things together that I, I really try to hone in on and, and focus on. And just right. because I love being out in the woods, and let's do those things more so than, oh my God, I can't believe you're blind in doing this, right? They're both challenging because whether you're doing a swim in an Ironman or a sprint triathlon, or you're running a trail in a 5k or hundred mile race, those are challenging things regardless of vision or not. So I try to focus on that as much as possible. And then the relationship with guides, I have met some guides literally at the race start. Maybe we have a phone conversation beforehand. I tell them my preferences and we just jump in and go for it. Mm-hmm. And then I, then I have a cadre of guides in Boston that I'm internally grateful for. They do all my long runs and my short runs. So I probably have a group right now of about six to eight guides that I cycle through. Mm-hmm. That I try to cultivate relationships with some of those guides I may run races with, some I may not. And then some races I may run with someone once or twice and then we'll hop into a race. In fact, I am. I have the opportunity and really great pleasure to run Boston this year with Tina Muir, who has guided before, including at the California International Marathon, but she and I have never run together. We've obviously spoken a ton over the phone, but when we toe the line at the Boston Marathon in a couple of weeks, that will be the first time that she and I are running together.
1: I, so as somebody who, I, you know, I've been... Around running for 20 plus years now. I feel like historically I've got a pretty good sense of pacing, but I also have my own particular preference there. You know, some people want to go out hard and then slow down. I mean, are you able to put in that kind of info in your when you're like, you know, oh, I I want a negative split or no, I want a positive split. Like I really want to go out hard and then just fade up. Like, do you get to give your kind of pacing
0: preferences to your guides? I I do. And we encourage other runners to do that because that's one of the really important pieces of communication is that Mm -hmm. what pace do I want to run at? What's my effort level? In an ideal world, the guide, which is different from a pacer, I've had both at the same time for longer trail races, but for a guide, in an ideal world, they're just sharing their site to run with you. So that may be running, guiding you around people over potholes, through aid stations, helping you get water, that sort of stuff. That may include keeping an eye, no pun intended, on your pace and dictating what that pace may be mm. in terms of, oh, you just ran a 903 minute mile, whatever it may be, or we're running this at, you know, in, in this point of time. But it really should be the actual pace should be driven by the runner who's blind or visually impaired. Okay. I I'm a little particular about things. I actually tell my guides like don't coach me, don't give me pep talks. Like I really want you to be my guide and not mm-hmm. my pacer. And except for during trail races, you know, the longer you run in a trail race, you are allowed to have a pacer. Mm-hmm. So if I just have a sighted guide and it's after the time in which all the other runners can have pacers, I will communicate to my guide. I give you permission to also pace me, right? So keep me motivated, keep me moving, be a little bit more proactive with my splits rather than just giving me information. But, and I also will do the reverse. I'll be like, your goal today is just to guide me. I don't want you to do anything else besides simply guiding me.
1: Yeah. And, you know, uh, apologies for stepping over myself here. You know, I'm, I'm, more than willing to make an ass of myself as long as you're able to correct oh, 100% me. yeah please, no we all we all, it, you know?
0: we all learn that's what this is about man right right and, and so
1: i think part of it's just like cuz my you know my experience like it's like it's interesting when you know how you notice your own brain working it's like my experience with like running with another person is that experience of pacing since i'm not visually impaired so then it's like i make that automatic assumption of, well, that person's obviously going to pace you, right? Like, that's what they're there for. It's like, well, no, <laughs> as you said, that's not that's not their role. It can be, but it isn't. And, and so along those lines of like, you mentioned earlier, say somebody passing you or whatever and talking about you being an inspiration and working through that, um, you know, I've, I've talked to a number of athletes on the show over the years um, with various, I'll say impairments, but I don't, I don't know if that's the word that's a, a good, uh, encompassing word. Um, athletes missing limbs, visually impaired. Um, and I, I don't know that any of them have said, oh, like, I want to be an inspiration. Like, I feel like I'm an inspiration. I'm, I I think I struggle with, there's obviously the cultural idea where it's like, we, we want to like, we want to hold Kyle up as an inspiration to everybody. Like, look what he's doing. Because I think some of us go, <clears throat> I can't imagine being strong enough to do that or whatever. But at the same time, like, as you mentioned, that's not your internal experience, right? And, and I feel like in, in it's probably invalidating to be like, well, Kyle, let me tell you about you instead of allowing you to be who you are, and then listening to who that is. So it's like I I struggle with, obviously, you're here talking to me, and we're hopefully going to publicize the conversation. Um, And I think it's important to give impaired athletes a voice and an awareness. But it's like straddling that line between maybe it's like, Between giving you a voice and a platform and making you into some kind of like iconoclast where you're just this image, you're no longer a person, you're just this like a symbol. So so I guess how do you navigate that? Because I'm sure
0: you've encountered that a number of times, I guess. Yeah, and I think you hit on a lot of the points, right? So it's super nuanced, and it's never perfect in the way I internalize it and feel it. Is likely to be very different than some of my peers, although I've had similar conversations about the same notion around you're inspiring. But I also am very honest in saying that I've benefited from that kind of uh, that perception, right? I'm on the mm-hmm. show with you today, and I have sponsors and things of that nature. So I've, I've certainly benefited, but I've tried to use it as an educational opportunity as well. And it's also some of the reasons why, you know, I have, and these don't need to be shared by others, but you know. I I try to identify as an athlete first. So, person first language. So, an athlete first, and then with my disability. So, instead of a blind athlete, you know, I'm a runner who's blind. And I also think that some folks would say to me that I'm not fully accepting of my vision loss up until the point in which I fully accept being, quote unquote, an inspiration. And I think there's some truth to that, that I'm not fully you know, comfortable and in, in accepting of my vision loss. I don't know anyone who's quite there yet, 100%. And the other piece that plays out in in during races and so forth that I get frustrated about, and I've gotten better about answering it. Sometimes I joke, to be honest with you, and like my guide and I will count how many times, you know, how many inspirations we Those get. Those are
1: good deflections.
0: Yeah, actually, I read this guy, um, Vasu, who I may be pronouncing his wrong incorrectly, but he's a sponsored skier with North Face. He's a above the knee amputee complete badass skier, but he just did a, um, the, the rut run, which is incredibly like above tree line, incredibly difficult. And I think in his Instagram post, he actually joked, he counted like, Oh, 105 inspirations. He actually did this race on crutches, um, which is yeah just amazing. But anyways, I really want people, what I get frustrated about is like, I want people to appreciate and acknowledge what I'm doing in the work that I put into it the training, the mental fortitude, the physical aptitude. I want people to appreciate and be, and if they're going to be inspired, be inspired by that and not because of my vision. Because what happens is when people are running by me and say, you're so inspiring, they don't know me. What they know is that I'm blind or visually impaired. Mm -hmm. And I get frustrated that no one should be judging me based on that. They should be judging me on all, you know, all encompassing kind of what goes into doing what we do, whether it's running or cycling, or you're a great student or a successful CEO, right? There's a lot of hard work that goes into that. So I want people to appreciate and acknowledge that piece of it, and then add on if they want to the vision loss piece. And, you know, it's also why I, I still have feelings around wearing like a blind bib. I've grown to understand that during races, particularly trail races, it's very helpful to have like a bib on my back because if someone comes up behind me, they know to kind of give, you know, that they may need to wait a minute for me to pull over or pass them and just provides a little bit more awareness. But I do at times feel like I have this huge target on me that it just, it's outing myself where, wherever I am. And, you know, now I'm actually at a point where I, I do all my training runs with a visually impaired bib I started during COVID just to help get help encourage people to move out of my way or mm-hmm. my guide's way, and it is really helpful. But it's taken a bit of time to be comfortable because sometimes I just want to be that runner who's out there enjoying the strides and the conversation with my guide and not have the attention of you know the bib or the visually impaired bib.
1: You know, I I wonder whether. It's. I always I always struggle to get my thoughts together. So anytime sorry, for you, for you the listener, thanks for listening to multiple episodes if you have, because yeah. I always go oh, have, just as my brain tries to turn over these things, Uh, because <laughs> we don't you know we don't prepare this conversation before we have it. Um, You know I think about like. It, obviously we we go back to this idea that we hear as children like don't judge a book by its cover. But. That's kind of how we're built. I think this the saying is there because we're we have such a tendency, whether it's cultural, whether it's innate, I, I couldn't tell you. But there, there's such a strong tendency for us to do that, that we, you know, we have this saying. And I I wonder I wonder if it's possible. Um to make it easier to get past that point i I guess i think about think about a more abstract example like i know many people at least in north america struggle to have friends as adults right Mm -hmm. it's hard to make deep connections with people in general let alone as an adult when you're everybody's busy how do you meet people all those kinds of things Mm -hmm. and that is as we back up like my point of bringing that up is it it's hard to get past that nice pleasantries, the, uh, you know, I don't like Kyle. He's got a beard. I don't like beards or whatever. Like just the, the 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 superficial things to down to like who's Kyle as a person. So then you identify with, in your case, uh, he's visually impaired. Therefore, inspiration or whatever label somebody wants to put on you. Mm-hmm. I I wonder about, I don't have a solution, obviously. I wonder about how do we get, you know, how do we get past that to maybe to, to a place or can we get past that more easily to a place where it's like, like uh, Kyle's hanging out, doing his doing his long run. Like we're not even concerned about like that he's visually impaired. Obviously the practical considerations of, having a guide and all those things but other than that it's just cool you want to go out for 10 miler this weekend or what you know like i don't know i am I'm, I'm just chewing on it i don't know that i have a question or a solution uh, just looking for your thoughts i guess
0: yeah and one thing I, I I really want to underscore is that I know that all those comments that are made to me are altruistic and and well well intentioned, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes it is me. It's in me and my own head that I have, get angry about it. So I fully accept that piece of it. It's interesting that you, you mentioned like kids and don't judge a book by its cover, because one of the things that and I don't get sad much around like my vision loss. But I was walking home the other day, and I, I think I posted this on social media, maybe. But uh, you know, I walked by a kid who's probably seven or eight, and I had my white cane out. And as we passed, the kid said to—I think it was his father or parent—to his parents, was like, "Oh my God, that guy's blind. That's so sad." Mm. And at first, I was like, "Kudos for your empathy, right?" I don't think I was that empathetic and aware at that right. age, so I appreciate that. But then I if i didn't think it would be so weird and and like stranger danger i wanted to stop and be like no like it's it's not sad don't be sad for me because this is what i do this is who i am right and i think that that's the reframing that i really want to get to right is that yes i may have different eyesight and vision and that may provide some limitations but not really many right you just need to adapt and we need to be quick to adapt and pivot to continue to do what we love and it's not a sad thing it's just something you have to adjust to while well, that being said sure we we may need a little bit more support and encouragement or adapt patience or accommodations but you know that's just part of building you know a good environment and a good community as you're
1: talking about that it, it makes me wonder about um, so, I believe, rightly or wrongly, that humans are vastly adaptable, or adaptable to all kinds of different situations. I wonder if we recognize. So, your impairment is obviously outwardly visible, very easy to you know recognize for other people especially if you're wearing like a visually impaired bib, like it, as you mentioned, it's like a target on your back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like It's it's there automatically.
0: It's hard to get around it.
1: Right. But coming back to my previous thought, thinking about how do we get past that? Maybe if we think about, as you mentioned, having some of that empathy that that kid has, but then going further and understanding that like, each of us has a different human experience. Visually impaired or not, like we each live a different experience of humanity. And it isn't always as like overtly obvious as wearing a visually impaired bib, but we each come to this place of we're part of human culture from a different perspective. So I wonder if maybe by adopting that kind of idea, that the that the differentness, maybe, of people saying, oh, you're visually impaired, therefore you're other, inspiring, whatever, maybe that begins to fade away.
0: I, th- I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think part of it is based on... Just the the awareness piece of it and the conversations and and awareness and awareness around what everyone can do. And sometimes that does entail what we can't do, right? Just in, in terms of life in general. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think there's, there's a piece of that. There's also a piece of really, and I don't know how to say it without using the word normal, but like normalizing, you know, where we're all at. And also recognizing that we're in pretty weird times, right? Mm-hmm. So even though I may be moving around with my white cane, I spent the first like month and a half in my new job on Zoom. So people had no idea, partly because I wear glasses and I can make eye contact still yeah. for the, for the most part. So some of my coworkers had absolutely no idea, you know, until we either returned in person or then I, you know, which prompted me then to send out an email and be like, hey. FYI, like if I run you over in the hallway, this is why. And I had so many people that replied back and was like, wow, thank you so much for sharing that. We had no idea. Mm -hmm. And I was like, which kind of made me happy that I was able to participate in these meetings and and be onboarded in a a weird sense without that knowledge and awareness, Mm -hmm. right? And then kind of slowly introduce The fact that I have really terrible vision and I think that's part of what we're all trying to kind of aim for right is is the piece around building awareness taking away the judgment side of it Mm -hmm. and then just making it you know part of the everyday life which is also what I'm trying to do with the running right the more the reason why I'm doing so much advocacy and work around inclusion is that I just tired of being the only person who's blind at a race, right? I want my Mm -hmm. peers out there enjoying what I'm doing. And I know that the more folks who are out on course doing what I'm doing is going to bring that sense of, um, you know, and again, I hate like the normalcy to it. Right. Um, And I see it skiing. You know, I, I ski with Vermont Adaptive Ski and Sports, which is a wonderful adaptive ski program. And just by the sheer number of athletes who they engage and support and work with it's so much different being out on the hill skiing with someone in a sit ski or without riggers and then here's me with my guide and it's just it's what we do right versus when I trail run often it's you know really just me Hmm.
1: skiing to me seems dangerous in general (laughs) (laughs) it can be I think that's, I think that comes from a place of, I haven't ever skied. Uh, I live in the Midwest, so we get snow, but I don't live in Colorado. Thus, there's no really like good ski or snowboard venues here. Um, so maybe it's just an unfamiliarity, but I just go like, it's, it seems dangerous to anybody, let alone to like, so, so I, this is, again, it comes from a place of curiosity, not trying to be an ass. Just like how does does the, when you're skiing, my perception is that there's a certain amount of momentum, which you have whether you want or not, because you're going down a hill. So, so how does the guide relationship work in, in that setup? Like when you're running, obviously you're dictating the pace, but I don't know anything about skiing. So I don't, I feel like you'd have a little less control dictating, you know, pace or how you're moving in, in relation to the hill.
0: Definitely. No, it's a, it's a great question. And I also should state that just for the listeners that, you know, so my, I have usable vision. I'm not totally blind. Only 5% of folks who are blind have absolutely no vision at all. And I have about 2040 to 2060 corrected vision. So I wear glasses and I have a really, really extreme tunnel vision. So I see my field right now is about two to 3% as of last month. So it's, similar to looking through a paper towel roll, and it's actually getting smaller and smaller. Mm. So I do have the ability to kind of to to um, to spot ski. So I ski directly behind my guide, okay. and I still have the ability to follow their ski. So I look at the back of their skis, and because I've been skiing almost now my, well, since I was 11, I'm aware enough to know kind of what we're going over and what speeds we're going. I can tell when they're slowing down or when they're stopping. And everything is done. And, you know, they're looking over their shoulder to make sure that I'm close to them. And it's never a perfect system. And then also some programs that I ski with also have headsets, which is amazing because mm-hmm. then I can communicate to them, slow down or speed up, or I'm right behind you. Or they can say, hey, we're, we're coming up on someone on our left. Stay really tight to me. Don't wander a little bit. Make sure you're right behind me. So the headsets are really great. Uh, I spent most winter... Actually, I don't think I skied with a headset at all this winter, but, you know, so that's for someone like me, whereas someone who may be totally blind with a different skiing ability, their guide will ski behind them and they'll essentially call out turns. So they'll be like left, hold, 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 right, hold, 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 turn left, hold, 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 turn right. And then they're keeping an eye on everything that's around them. And I'll see they're going, I don't say slow in a bad way, but, you know, they're traversing the mountain probably a little bit more than, than I may be. Mm-hmm. So, and it's, yeah, it's dangerous. I mean, I don't care about myself. And I don't say that, you know, like a sadist, but, you know, if I fall or I hit something, that's fine, that's on me. But I do get really concerned skiing, particularly because I, you know, I, I, I'm a good skier. And so I get really nervous about hitting someone else. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and that's different than, you know, if you're running and you fall, you know, running, I'm only going to injure myself, right? I'm going to trip and cut out my knee or bang my shoulder, or whatever. But I get, I do get concerned skiing, you know, with hitting someone else because it's never perfect, you know, the guiding, and people are unpredictable with their turns. So, mm-hmm. and I ski much differently. I actually tell my guides, like, when we're standing at the top of the trail, I'm like, oh, to the extent possible, you know, can you tell me, like, are there other people on this trail? You know, and I feel a lot more comfortable letting it rip on a trail where there's no one around, versus Others around because I I do have that I'm I'm a pretty cautious skier in that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, I've never done skiing, but <laughs> it, thinking to the unpredictability of people, like even so, uh, I ran in college. I went cross country and ran a track. There is an etiquette to track where basically you give the right away to the fastest person on the track. So if you're getting lapped, you move to the outside lane not to you don't have to go to the far outside but if you're in lane Mm -hmm. one move out to lane two let the person pass but the general public doesn't know this so if you're on a track and you're trying to do a workout and you're the fastest person there and somebody else is in lane one they don't care like something and and there's an unpredictability just in that like not potentially dangerous environment where it's like i don't know whether to go around them I don't know whether to call out to them and ask them to move. I don't know whether they're going to go left or right. So it seems like like skiing when you're adding the speed and I'll call it instability of being on snow, it seems like you're you're upping the the danger level when you've got people that you know, I assume there's some kind of ski etiquette probably for passing that I'm not aware of. Maybe there's not, but it, it when you don't have people who have like spatial awareness Mm -hmm. which seems especially bad right now post i'll say post covid obviously it's more complicated than that but just yeah as people get out more and more now i feel like i go to the store and people just have no spatial awareness even in the grocery store Mm -hmm. and i mean have you experienced i mean i i'm going off on a tangent but have you experienced that on the on or off the slopes i guess
0: Yes. I mean, in terms of skiing all the time, and we joke all the time that, you know, my guides wear bibs, I wear bibs, and sometimes it attracts people, right? Because you always follow where your eyes go, whether you're running Mm -hmm. or skiing. So people look at the orange bibs, and then all of a sudden, we're like, you're getting closer, move, you know, they're like, ooh, they like, they gravitate towards you. Mm -hmm. And it's also why I tend to spend, you know, I enjoy and feel more comfortable skiing, more challenging trails and terrain, because for the most part, skiers are more predictable with their turns and everyone is for the most part heading down the mountain whereas on, be- on beginner trails you know it's you're doing you know big sweeping back and forth turns or if you turn one way stronger than the other you know that's always going to be your most consistent turn which then means the other side is super inconsistent so it's really unpredictable and it's also why in terms of guides I have some amazing amazing talented fit superstar running guides but for guiding running for the most part you just need to be able to run slightly faster than me and, and have good communication and i can train you but for ski guides you don't only have to be a super talented skier but you have to be trained on trail awareness so how do you merge trails what's the technique to make sure that you're moving onto a trail that's merging in a safe way so how do you look uphill how do you predict and then that other piece around to the extent possible The awareness of how to predict turns and how to move me. And I can tell if I'm skiing right behind a guide and they're, you know, we're banging out some really consistent turns. And then there's one turn that holds a little bit longer. I kind of know that, oh, they must be trying to get around someone. So there's a lot of um, awareness and training that goes into being a ski guide in addition to being a rock solid guide.
1: I don't want to run you too much over, um, for your next appointment. So I have a question that I'm asking all my guests each Mm -hmm. season. I ask a singular question to every single guest that changes every year. Um, this year I'm asking this question because, uh, people don't know how to answer it. Number one, because people don't do it enough. Uh, so I'm putting everybody on the spot. Partially it's because I know I don't do it enough. I had a friend suggest this to me, um, because she's big on this, so I'm asking everybody, how do you celebrate your wins?
0: Great question. I have been focusing a lot of my energy at work, working with our team here, and identifying and celebrating our wins. So, I am probably a negative person in general, so I really overfocus on those wins. So after every long run, you look at your watch, and your first reaction is like, ah. I ran a little bit slower than I really wanted to. So I do, I did it this past weekend. Like I ran 20 miles, last six miles I I was spent, but I spent some time when I sat down on the couch, I got home and like, man, I just banged out the third weekend in a row of, you know, higher mileage than the previous weekend. So I try to pause for those things. And I also, you know, we get caught up in a lot of things, right? It's family, running, social life, whatever it may be, work, obviously, so, I also try to be really intentional about that. Uh, I get into work really early most days, partly because I'd like to sit in the quiet with no one around, get out some emails, but then I just do prepare and think about the previous day and what I accomplished, and then start planning for that day or that next week. So you know, I think it takes discipline and intentionality, but it's super important. And
1: i normally, this would be the last thing, but i I do. I want to give you a, a chance to kind of sum things up. So I, as we were talking about earlier, thinking about uh, awareness, um, if you want to distill what you'd like people to know down to not like not necessarily like a pithy quote, but just you know your most important point of advocacy, um, what would you want to say, I guess?
0: I was going to be uh, silly and say drink beer, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I think the more in life that we can be put ourselves in uncomfortable situations, because it's in those moments in which we learn, and there are some struggles in those moments. But at the end of the, at the end of that experience is when we have our most growth and when we learn. Right? If we're not challenged, if we're not uncomfortable, you're kind of static. So I, I spend a lot of time trying to be comfortable being uncomfortable whether it's walking in the built environment and having frustrations using my white cane and being in new areas or trying to run a, a more difficult route that I haven't run before or taking on a new project at work. I think it's always really trying to, to put yourself in that situation in which you're making yourself uncomfortable because that's, like I said, that's when we learn and that's when we grow and, and keep on learning in the awareness piece of it, you know, and, and meet, meet new people, meet people who don't look like you whether that's race or ethnicity or gender or disability, get out, out outside of your comfort zone and kind of your usual suspects and, and try to engage and interact with others. And then if individuals are interested in being a guide, there's a pretty cool website called unitedinstride.com that can help match individuals with guides. Um, my guide that I'm running Boston with is actually from St. Louis and uh, that's how she first I think learned about guiding as well and you know athletes of all abilities pace distance can be guides for a mile for five miles for 30 miles in a hundred mile race so people and it makes guiding makes running skiing a team sport and it's already doing something you love to do so it's a great way to volunteer as well.
1: Kyle people want to check out what you're up to uh, get in touch any of that kind of stuff where can they find you?
0: Yeah. So my, I have a personal website that I use for public speaking and so forth. And that's just kylerobidoux.com. And then Twitter is kylerobidoux and Instagram is blindbeerrunner.
1: Kyle, thanks for hanging out with me today.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks for doing what you do. And thanks for inviting me on and having this uh, important conversation. It was fun.